Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Raven. I would like to tell you about my new sponsor, Intellectual Linear Progression. It is an online community where people are changed by the books that change the world. Intellectual Linear Progression sends you the best translations of books written by the most influential Western philosophers. Then, helps you develop good reading habits by text and email reminders. Once a month, there's an online Zoom seminar where community members, as well as a host trained in the Socratic method, discuss what you read. This ensures that you get the most out of the reading by seeing it from lots of different perspectives and contributing your own. If you are interested, please go to onlinegreatbooks.com slash ref slash V-A-M, like vampires. And use the code V-A-M to get 25% off your first three months, as well as supporting the Tiny Vampires podcast. Hello, and welcome to Tiny Vampires, a podcast about disease, science, and blood-sucking insects. This is episode 21. Why is there a Lyme disease vaccine for dogs, but not for humans? Thomas Daly sent this question in, in audio format. Hi Raven, this is your fellow Agoran and podcasting buddy, Tom Daly, host of the American Biography Podcast. I recently read a report released by the CDC that found that Tick-borne illness is growing at an alarming rate in the United States and may be reaching numbers that the nation is not prepared for. Conversely, I've seen that dogs can now get Lyme disease vaccines, yet humans cannot. Do you have any insight into any of this? Thanks. Before we get into the episode, I want to apologize for this episode being late. 
had to have surgery and couldn't really do anything except for my impression of a potato. So Raquel stepped up and did all the research for this episode, as well as writing most of the script. Let's begin by discussing what Lyme disease is. It's been mentioned throughout several episodes, and you may have heard of it in the news, or maybe somebody you know has been affected by it. Lyme disease is caused by a group of bacteria under the genus Borrelia. Common symptoms of Lyme infection are fever, fatigue, headache, and a rash. In severe cases, the infection can spread to the joints, heart, and nerves. Usually, this happens when the infection is left untreated. Typically, if detected early, it can be treated with a few weeks of antibiotics. The black-legged tick, Ixodes scapularis, and the western black-legged tick, Ixodes pacificus, are responsible for the spread of the bacteria throughout the United States. Most people are infected by bites by very young ticks, which are called nymphs. Nymphs are very tiny, less than 2 millimeters. If you want a reference, a sesame seed on your burger is about 4 millimeters. So you can imagine how hard it would be to spot a nymph on your body. Adult ticks are also able to transmit Lyme disease, but since they're bigger, they're easier to spot and remove before they spread the infection. It's also important to know how to spot them, because ticks need to be attached for 36 to 48 hours for the bacteria to successfully transmit into the body. The best way is to take a shower after coming in from the yard or a hike. It will wash off any ticks that haven't attached yet and help you feel them if you have any that are attached. The most common places to find them are around the sock line, belt line, and at the nape of your neck. Armpits and crotches are also common, especially if you're wearing loose-fitting clothes. If you find a tick, remove it with tweezers, being sure to disturb the tick as little as possible. When they get scared, they inject more saliva, and therefore more bacteria, under your skin. So how do we prevent ourselves or our dogs from getting Lyme disease? Inspecting the body for ticks, removing the ticks earlier rather than later, and using repellents and vaccinations. Human and veterinary vaccines are tested in very different ways in most, if not all, countries. This is because human lives are thought to be more important than animal lives in most, if not all, societies. We are going to run a lot more safety tests on something we inject into our children than something that we inject into our dog. As we learned in episode 20, human vaccines go through a series of studies where the compound is tested on animals, like lab rats, to make sure that they're safe and causing the desired reaction from the immune system, which will help the animal fight off the disease. Eventually, researchers have to run tests on humans, starting with just a very few in phase one and up to thousands in phase four. All the while, researchers are watching to see if the vaccine is safe and preventing the disease. Researchers conduct trials, referred to as field trials. They test the vaccine on people who are likely to be exposed to this disease. 
If 200 people in a town of 5,000 are getting infected a year, the researchers can use statistics to determine the probability of a person getting infected. In this example, 1 in 25. If they vaccinate 500 people and none of them become sick over the course of three years, while 20 of the 500 unvaccinated people do get sick, the researchers can assume that the vaccine was what prevented the disease. The downside to this method is the disease is not controlled. It isn't really possible to say that those people who didn't get sick were for sure exposed to the disease. By random chance, they might all have just never come into contact with it. The benefits of this type of trial are, of course, ethical ones, not purposely exposing people to a disease that could harm or even kill them. Another benefit is the fact that people are exposed to the disease in a natural setting. There are lots of factors that go into whether a person is exposed to a disease or not. Testing in this way makes sure that the vaccine can still be safe and effective under these natural conditions. Compare this to how animals are tested. Animal trials are conducted on the animal the vaccine is designed for. The number of animals in each test are much smaller than the number of humans in the human trials. The trials are referred to as challenge trials. This is when the animal is vaccinated, then exposed to the disease to see if it becomes sick. Because the researchers are sure that the animal was exposed to the disease, they can be more sure that the vaccine was what kept the animal healthy and that it wasn't random luck that it wasn't exposed. Regulatory agencies that decide whether a vaccine should be sold to the public are typically different for animals and humans. For example, here in the U.S., the Food and Drug Administration regulates human vaccines, while the Department of Agriculture regulates vaccines for animals. Because of these very different evaluation systems and regulating agencies, it isn't a given that a vaccine that's cleared for use in dogs is going to be cleared in use for humans, or the other way around. Even so, it's a legitimate question. Why is there not a Lyme disease vaccine for humans? There actually was one. That's what today's paper is about. It's called Vaccination Against Lyme Disease with Recombinant Borrelia burgdorferi Outer Surface Lipoprotein A with Adjuvant by Dr. Alan Steele et al. The study was carried out in the mid-90s after a dramatic increase in Lyme disease cases since the initial discovery in 1977 by Dr. Steele himself. At the time, there was no method to control the infection or prevent its spread. L-Ops-A is the name of the vaccine they were testing in this trial. It stands for Lipoprotein Outer Surface Protein A. 
A lipoprotein is just a molecule that is a fat attached to a protein. Lipo meaning fat, and protein, you know, obviously protein. Cholesterol is an example of a lipoprotein. Outer surface protein A refers to the proteins that stick out of the surface of the bacteria. Because they're on the surface, the immune system of the infected animal, be it a person or dog, can use the protein to recognize the cell as something that doesn't belong. Normally, biologists will name that molecule for what it does, but in this particular case, it doesn't really matter, as long as it can train the person's immune system to recognize the bacteria and kill it. This paper is about the phase 3 trial of LOPS-A vaccine. A total of 10,936 volunteers between the ages of 15 and 70 inside the United States that lived in a place where Lyme disease was endemic were part of the trial. Endemic meaning naturally occurring. The people were chosen through a long list of criteria. Volunteers were chosen randomly to receive three injections, either the Lyme disease vaccine or a placebo. The placebo, or fake vaccine, had all of the ingredients of the regular one, but did not contain the OPS-A, the active ingredient. The second injection was given a month after the first, and the third one was 12 months later. The paper goes into numerous details regarding the statistical analysis between the placebo groups and the groups injected with the vaccine. But I'm going to focus on the negative effects that the researchers saw in the vaccinated group. A higher number of people in the vaccine group noted soreness, redness, and swelling at the injection site than people who got the placebo. Also, the vaccinated volunteers were more likely to get all-over muscle pain, achiness, fever, and chills. All of these reactions happened within 48 hours after vaccination, and usually lasted around three days. The symptoms were not severe, and did not increase with the second or third injection. 16 out of the 5,469 vaccinated volunteers ended up contracting Lyme disease after the third injection, while 66 of the 5,467 people who got the placebo were infected. The vaccine also was proven to protect against dormant infections that can develop into arthritis and chronic neurological harm caused by Lyme disease. So overall, the vaccine was shown to be both safe and effective. The study was funded by SmithKline Beecham Pharmaceuticals, which is now GlaxoSmithKline. And license for the LOPS-A vaccine is shared by SmithKline, Yale University School of Medicine, and the Max Planck Society in Munich, Germany. The vaccine, under the name Limerix, 
was released in December 1998. To answer Thomas's question, we had a vaccine that was proven to be effective 80% of the time. As for safety, before the vaccine release to be sold to the public, an FDA panel met to review it. They concluded that there were a few problems with the vaccine. It did not protect against infection from other Borrelia burgdorferi subspecies outside of the United States, such as those in Europe. Two, individuals who were vaccinated were not fully protected until a year after they were vaccinated. Three, the vaccine could not be used on children who, at the time, were known to be at the highest risk for infection. And four, one of the most important concerns, the possibility of a relationship between the vaccine and autoimmune arthritis. After these and more considerations, the FDA panel gave an ununanimous support for the release of Limerix. I can hear it now, Thomas yelling into his headphones. What? If it was approved, why aren't I vaccinated? The answer is that there are other factors at play. After anti-vaccine sentiment and the threat of class action lawsuits complicated the vaccine's schedule for release, which in turn diminished doctors' support for the vaccine, combined with low public demand for the vaccine, Smith Klein Beecham retracted and terminated the production of Limerex in 2002. Another pharmaceutical named Pasteur Mero Cournot was at phase three trials for their own Lyme vaccine, but after seeing what happened with Limerex, they too decided not to go forward with its development. Although the trials provided no evidence for it, these groups pushing back against the vaccine were concerned about something called molecular mimicry. This is when the protein the vaccine is training the immune system to fight against, in this case OPS-A, is very similar to a protein found naturally in our bodies. Say, for example, a collagen protein in our joints. The vaccine would then not only train our body to attack the Borrelia bacteria, but also the person's cartilage, causing an autoimmune disease. While this is something that is possible, these sorts of reactions would have been documented in the Phase 1, 2, and 3 trials. Molecular mimicry is the sort of thing these trials are designed to detect. In the end, vaccines are a product. If a company does not feel the public wants the vaccine or is actively fighting against its release, they will put their research efforts into a product that the public will actually use. This is an example of one way a vaccine can be impacted by something totally outside of the scientific or medical realm. As of 2011, Lyme disease was recognized the most common vector-borne disease in the United States and Europe. The epidemic proportions that Lyme has now reached 
might be what encouraged another company, Valvena, to start the development of another vaccine. They are currently in phase one for their vaccine called VLA-15. There has been a lot of development in the vaccine for dogs, so it's possible that lessons learned there could make the human vaccine much better. Next month, in episode 22, we are moving on from vaccines to talk about some insects that sound like something out of science fiction. They're called stomach botflies, and you're going to be glad that this is not a video podcast. Kyle Harrison asked, How do stomach botflies live in such an unhospitable place? How do they breathe? It's going to be a fun one, if not really gross. July's Agora podcast of the month is Chris Stewart and his History of China podcast. I don't know about you, but in my history classes growing up, all we talked about was Europe and the U.S. This is a great way to learn how a major superpower came to be what it is today from a guy who actually lives in China. Before I go, I want to say again how awesome Raquel is for stepping up and writing most of today's episode while I was in recovery. She's a total lifesaver. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and of course, rate and review us on Apple Podcast. Thank you for listening. From me, Raven Forrest Ruscanzo. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 